Hi everyone, welcome back, finally, to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host, Gareth Watkins, coming to you, as always, from the mobile studio deep in the heart of North Yorkshire, England, where finally the snow is gone. We had a very nasty cold snap last week, and it got down, the temperature got down to, oh, I think the lowest I saw was minus 11. It was, it felt arctic, it was horrible. I was out defrosting the car on Saturday morning, and um, I had a, a, a metal aerosol spray of um, de-icer for the windows and my hand was nearly sticking to the metal because the can had come out of the boot of the car and it was freezing cold absolutely freezing uh, but I'm glad to say it's got a bit warmer now so um, I don't know maybe spring is finally on the way although they're saying it's going to get cold again this weekend but hey you've not tuned in to hear about the weather uh, what I should say before we crack on with some Dexter apologise really because it's been What's it been? Has it been at least a month since I last talked to you? Maybe a bit longer since I did the the final farewell, the top five podcast for season six. Don't worry, anyone who's listening to this today and worried about spoilers for season six or any other seasons of Dexter, don't worry. I'm um, well into rewatch mode this time around, uh, so don't worry about being spoiled about forthcoming seasons. Um, Spoiler-free zone. But yeah, apologies for the lack of podcasts over the last month or so. I guess I've... Honestly, I think I was a little bit burnt out after keeping up the pace of, of season six, podcasting each week as we went through, and I just needed a decent break from it. Uh, but having rewatched the latest episode of Dexter from season two, the one that uh, we're talking about today, it's season two, episode four, See Through. And on rewatching that, it's renewed my excitement and interest in the rewatches. I'm glad to say. Uh, so hopefully, from here on, um, the podcast will be much more regular. So uh, yeah, as I say, apologies for that. So I've had a, a fairly Dexter-free month, although I've I've not gone missing <laughs> stars from the Dexter series. Um, I'll explain. Uh, I'm watching Desperate Housewives with <laughs> with my wife. Uh, we don't watch many shows together, but this is one that we got into, and it's it's a bit of fun. Uh, I can't remember if I've mentioned it on the on Dissecting Dexter before. I know I've mentioned it on my other podcast, Gareth's Waste of Time, which you can find on iTunes, by the way. It's a podcast where I just waste some time and talk about any topics that might come up. Uh, although there's a lot of focus on TV shows and films that I've been watching. Desperate Housewives is one of them. And uh, we've just finished watching season six. So, yeah, we're a couple of seasons behind. I think season eight is currently on the air in in the US. Uh, We've just finished season six. And a familiar face popped up for an arc of a few episodes. And that was Julie Benz, who, of course, we all know and love, or maybe not all of us love (laughs) as Rita. Um, I certainly enjoy her work as Rita. And she popped up as, yeah, a lesbian stripper. Yeah, not bad, eh? So she looked absolutely lovely <laughs> in the show. And um, her character was very sweet, very well-meaning. And um, she turned one of our series regulars uh, lesbian. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting little arc and uh, very sweet. And I don't know whether she's back in season seven. She's not. I've, I've been asking her on on Twitter, uh, but she's not responded to any of my messages. So whether she's maybe not as proud of the role as uh, as she might be, I, I don't know. Uh, but she certainly um, she certainly made an impression and um, turned in some good work in the uh, the few episodes that she was in. Also, uh, Desmond Harrington from Dexter. Uh, now, if you're watching these with me as we go through how should I put it if you're not up to date with Dexter and you're listening to this and you've only just watched season two for the first time and you're not um, as far through Dexter as you might be you won't have a clue who Desmond Harrington is he pops up later on it's no spoiler he's he's a future star of the show 
And he had uh, a one-episode appearance on the show Justified, which I love. I love Justified. Really great series about a U.S. marshal uh, being sent back to um, to his <laughs> the place where his, his roots are, deep in the country. He's a bit. He's got a reputation as being a bit trigger happy. Uh, Timothy Oliphant plays the the central character, but Desmond Harrington appeared for one episode as a bit of a dodgy dealer bit of a bad man and uh, it was it was a good episode really good episode and a nice turn from mr harrington so um if you're a fan of justified and you've not started watching the latest season yet then watch out for him he's in the first episode uh, something to look forward to okay so this is turning into a bit of a marathon intro I certainly i'm not used to these rewatch podcasts being particularly long um, so forgive me for the intro, but hey, I've not spoken to you for a while, so <laughs> I hope you'll indulge me. <laughs> okay, let's get back to business. This is a rewatch podcast. No spoilers here. We're talking about season two, episode four, episode title, See Through. It's written by Scott Buck, who for viewers who are fully up to date with Dexter up to season six will know the name Scott Buck very well. He, uh, for those who don't know, he is the current showrunner of Dexter, having been in charge through season six and set to continue through um, season seven. And who knows, maybe even season eight, if he does uh, a, an acceptable job for showtime in season seven. Whether he does a decent job from viewers' points of view, well, I suspect opinion is divided. <laughs> So, for Buck, this was his first full writing credit on Dexter. He came on board for season two, and uh, this is his first solo effort. The director for this episode is Nick Gomez, who is a bit of a journeyman. We've, we've had a few of these who directors who turn up for just the odd episode here or there. And from what, I can, from what I've garnered through my research, he's, he's in good company. There seems to be a lot of these journeyman directors who flip from show to show just doing an episode here or there. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Uh, Gomez has quite a good resume. He's done episodes on The Shield, Sopranos, Homicide, Life on the Street, Veronica Mars, True Blood, Lights Out, Rubicon, Oz and Flash Forward, to name but a few. OK, so the original air date of this episode was the 21st of October, 2007. Whew, quite an intro. Let's crack on with the review. Here we go. Dexter's still feeling the heat of the Bay Harbour Butcher investigation. And when we join him in the episode, we see Rita busting her gut to clean up the house with the impending arrival of her mother. And from the tone of her voice, it sounds like she's a little afraid of her. She's on her knees, scrubbing furiously. You'd kind of make the prediction that this woman might be at least a little bit fussy in particular. Cody comes in and says he's had a bad dream about the Bay Harbour Butcher. Rita's concerned and Dexter goes into daddy mode and eases his fears. We've talked before that he does have an affinity with children, Cody especially. He seems comfortable with them. Rita goes off on one about the butcher and in voiceover, Dexter comes out with a funny comment. Makes me so angry that there's some monster out there scaring my son. I gotta go to work. You know, I hope they catch him today. And I'm not a violent person, but I hope they hurt him. Have a good day. Make up your mind. At Miami Metro, Lundy holds a team meeting and they've made progress in the case, having identified a good number of the victims, many of which have criminal records. Remember Lundy saying before about finding the pattern being key to finding the killer. Matthews jumps on this lead and wants to go public with it. Deb goes to interject, but Lundy talks over her. But from their glances at each other, it seems like they were both on the same page. Lundy expresses reluctance to reveal their only lead, but Matthews is keen to get the news out there that good moral people have nothing to fear. Dexter's not in on the meeting, but he's watching from his desk through the glass, and he's feeling paranoid any time someone looks at him. 
Then Masuka charges through, saying he has a massive break in the case. He charges jubilantly into the meeting, high-fiving Batista, leaving Dexter with his paranoia, thinking this is it. Dexter, thinking (laughs) his number's up. Masuka, single-handedly, is going to be the one to bring him down. However, now he doesn't have to deal with these feelings on his own. And he goes off to talk to his new sponsor, Lila. He visits her place and we discover she's an artist or sculptor or both. She's pretty busy welding a new creation. Dexter looks around the place and many of the sculptures are pretty weird. Some looking like they're blood spattered. She's used some mannequin parts which brought back body part memories from season one for me. The parts, some of them, seem to be posed in strange positions. Some looking a bit sexual. All very odd. But they do suggest Lila has a darker side, and maybe deals with it in this way, making these sculptures. The growing sense of weirdness about Lila keeps coming as they drive along in her car. She said they were going out to collect some art supplies. She suddenly does a big U-turn in the road and bumps into a metal fence post, quite deliberately, knocking it out of the ground. She jumps out and puts it in the car, for a sculpture, but she has no qualms about what is essentially theft. Next thing, she's stealing someone's metal wind chimes. More art supplies. They then talk about why Dexter called her. She tells him that the road to recovery begins with recognising and accepting who you are. Dexter hesitates before saying he's a bad person. Lila's very amused that Dexter doesn't know who he is. We cut to a flashback of a young Dexter. It's an age I don't think we've seen in flashback before. He's maybe nine or ten and he's eavesdropping on a conversation between Harry and his wife, Doris. There is something off about him, Harry. You know why? All right, look. It wouldn't hurt to have him tested, would it? Tested for what? Clearly, this is a few years after they first take him in. Harry's defending him, but Doris isn't too sure. Evidently, Dex's behaviour raised alarm bells with her particularly. But tested for what? We've touched on how different Dexter's life might have been if he'd received appropriate psychiatric help at an early age, and it's possible Doris, following through on her suspicions and concerns, might have changed his life radically. But we'll see where this goes. Dexter, in present day again, he gets called to a murder scene. A woman lies dead, and apparently she was heard arguing with her husband, Curtis Barnes, the night before. Dexter tries to probe LaGuerta for information about Masuka's lead, and this rattles Dokes, who's trying to talk to him about the scene. Dexter does his usual perceptive analysis of the scene, and it rings a bell with Dokes, who notes the the triple-tap gunshot pattern on the victim and says she was Mozambique's. Using a bit of jargon there. Remember, Dokes was special ops, so he recognises this pattern, and looking around the place, he's certain that Curtis Barnes must also have been or is special ops. Back at Miami Metro, Lundy's got his squad examining the bodies of those victims who don't have a criminal record. Of course, knowing Dexter's MO, we know it's likely these people were killers, but were just never charged. It's probably just a matter of time before Lundy's team realise this. Elsewhere, Lieutenant Pascal is still convinced her other half is cheating on her, and she asks Dexter to help identify a smell on a shirt. She thinks it smells of a woman, but wants to be sure. She is making herself seem a bit neurotic in the workplace, not exactly professional. Dexter manages manages to deflect the task to Masuka, though. At Rita's house, we meet her mother, Gail, for the first time. It's clear their relationship isn't very close. Gail's played by actress Jo Beth Williams, who has a long acting career going back to the mid-1970s. Her film credits include Poltergeists 1 and 2, American Dreamer, Memories of Me and The Big Chill, while her extensive TV work includes working with Julie Benz on a different show, but not one I'd heard of before. Maybe some of you have. It was called Pain, and also starred John Larroquette. It was the American version of the classic British sitcom Faulty Towers. I think the casting is pretty good here. Looking at the two of them together in this scene, they do bear a physical resemblance that you could buy them being mother and daughter. When Dexter arrives and meets Gail for the first time, the meeting is cordial. But he seems to take frosty vibes right away and he has some funny voiceovers. 
saying to think of parents like aliens from another universe. Over dinner, the cordiality continues, and Cody says he's still scared of the Bay Harbour Butcher. Then Gail says something to propel her into Dexter's good books. Well, if what I've heard is true, that he only goes after criminals, I say leave him alone. He's got my seal of approval. Perhaps I have misjudged you, oh wise one. So, he has his mother-in-law's seal of approval. That's reassuring. But whether she'd warm to him if she knew if that the, the Bay Harbour Butcher was dating a daughter, I'm not so sure. Meanwhile, Debs made a discovery about one of the bodies. As we knew, it was only a matter of time. One of them, his sister suspected he'd murdered their parents and made it look like a car accident. Sounds like a perfect Dexter victim. A killer who completely got away with it and escaped the justice system. Lundy's impressed. And they talk about him having a blind date that night. Deb gently teases him a little bit, and he says that she should make sure she makes time for having some fun too. Help keep a balance with work, he says. As he leaves the room, though, I'm sure she checks out his bum. <laughs> you watch, she's not subtle. She definitely gives him the once-over. Definite seed sowing there. We've not seen her go for an older man before, and Lund is old enough to be her dad, but hey, you can't help what you fancy. Deb's definitely got daddy issues from being second favourite to Dexter, but I suspect we'll be talking about this again. So for now, we'll move on. Back at Rita's house, Rita sees Dexter's deep in thought, and he talks about concerns at work. Of course, we know what those concerns are, but he also says he went to see his sponsor, and she's been a little odd. Rita latches onto this. Remember last episode, her face when she saw Lila was his sponsor, and there was a bit of the green-eyed monster when she saw Lila was this attractive, skinny young brunette. Clearly there was a touch of jealousy and insecurity there, knowing Dexter would likely be sharing his deepest thoughts with this woman. Now she's heard Lila's a bit odd, and plays a little loose with the twelve steps, she's all for Dexter finding a new sponsor. Someone older and more manly, she suggests. <laughs> yes, Rita, we know why you want the sponsor to be a man. <laughs> But Dexter's seemingly completely ignorant of Rita's jealousy and agrees that a new sponsor would be a good idea. It'll be better for his recovery. Later at the gym, Deb's working out and hooks up with the guys she met there last time but got freaked out when he held her wrists. They're getting down to business in bed later on that night <laughs> when she suddenly produced, produces handcuffs and cuffs him to the bed. She's still bearing the scars of her captivity at the hands of Brian Moser, isn't she? Unfortunately... Dexter might bear a scar of his own after walking in on them mid-bonk. <laughs> Whoopsie. Next morning, though, Dexter's quick to dismiss it, because he's more interested in finding out what this big break in the Bay Harbour Butcher case is. Deb tells him it's algae Masuka found in the rubbish bags. They think that by identifying the type of algae, they can identify the marina where the killer keeps his boat. Now, obviously this shows Dexter he's not in immediate danger. Not in immediate danger, and it also gives him a bit of help for the future. He's so careful about forensic evidence, this is something else for him to consider when covering his tracks. But Dexter's voiceover confirmed my own doubt, initially, about what Deb said. I, to start with, didn't see how the algae in the bag could have come from the marina where Dexter keeps his boat. The bags don't go in the water there, he only dumps them in the ocean when he gets to the right spot. But Dexter's voiceover confirmed his own doubts about it. I must be missing something, he says. Back at Miami Metro, Batista's getting frustrated, interviewing the widow of his selected victim. You can, you can empathise with him. He sees his colleagues assigning murders to their bodies, Deb included, and he's hitting a brick wall with this one. It would be frustrating, but he presses her to the point of pissing her off and causing offence, and she walks out. Meanwhile... Dokes heads out to the marina to meet with an ex-soldier who is apparently friends with Curtis Barnes. But when he gets there, the man he meets turns out to be Curtis Barnes himself. Seems like Barnes has been asking around and heard about Dokes. He was hoping he could stall the investigation for a couple of days and give him the chance to escape to Cuba. Dokes asks the question and Barnes admits killing his wife. Now... Did anyone really think Dokes would just let him go? <laughs> of course not. So it becomes a Mexican standoff. 
But I wonder what Barnes heard to make him think Dokes would help him, knowing he was guilty. Does it suggest that Dokes wasn't averse to bending rules in the past? Then we jump from the tension to Deb and Lundy. She asks him about his date. Seems like it didn't work out, and he says something that tells us a bit about his character. I shouldn't be dating. Of course you should be. No. It all comes down to simple mathematics. A really beautiful relationship is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And I've already had mine. It suggests he was maybe once married but lost his wife, leaving him a widower. That would be my guess. There was a look of resignation on his face, but I think it made Deb's heart go out to him. While Dexter's trying to probe Masuka for information about this earth-shattering algae, Lieutenant Pascal collars Masuka to ask him about the tests, but it seems like they turned up nothing. And Pascal, unfortunately, has a bit of a meltdown in front of the whole department. Luguerta, of course, is there to prey upon the situation. Uh, I mean, give her a shoulder to cry on. <laughs> but Dexter's, uh, Dexter's comment is funny. This is the kind of thing that makes me glad I have no feelings. Like they always say, never take your dirty laundry to work. I do like these well-timed, darkly humorous comments from Dexter. I'm sure I've said before that it's one of the things that first drew me into the series and got me attached to this character. He's on good form this episode. Sadly, the use of the voiceover gets abused in later seasons. And that's not a spoiler. But for now, they're still used appropriately. Cut back to the standoff at the marina. It seems like Barnes assumed both he and Dokes being rangers would have been enough for Dokes to help him. But over the next couple of minutes, the conversation... What we hear is, it gives us a very interesting insight into Dokes' character, and it's nicely played by Eric King. Barnes goes on about his wife having had enough of his tempers and personal troubles caused by the, no doubt, traumatic experiences of being in special forces. She told him to leave. Dokes says he was married once, and Barnes assumes Dokes was kicked out too, but instead he says this. You got it wrong, man. I left her. Why was that? Because I was afraid if I did not kill her. Wow. That really is some admission. And it builds up a bigger picture of the character of Dokes. Why he's so uptight. But he did the decent thing and left his wife before he did anything terrible. It's made him alone, but no one got hurt. It says something for his self-awareness and integrity, I think. Barnes still wants Dokes to help him, though, but it's in vain. He says he didn't mean to kill her, but bloody hell, a triple tap as precise as that. <laughs> that was some snap he suffered. And the scene ends with what seems like suicide by cop. Dokes was quicker on the draw. We cut to Dexter at lunch with Lila. He's breaking it off with her. And when challenged, he strangely says, I don't want to answer any more questions. And we jump to a flashback. Harry is coaching young Dexter on how to answer a psychologist's questions. This must be the test Doris was wanting, something to assess young Dexter's state of mind. This could have led to him getting the help he needed, help that could have maybe saved him from going down that dark path. But here is his adoptive father telling him to fake his answers in the test. Unbelievable! What was he thinking? Was he afraid of Dexter having to undergo therapy? Why? Would he have considered himself a failure as a father if he had? What was his motivation for doing this? Or was there some personal pride going on, some arrogant personal pride, Harry thinking he could help him on his own? I'm sure more will be revealed in due course, but it raises a lot of questions. Next, there's a brief scene with Matthews putting LaGuerta back in charge of the homicide department. After he leaves, LaGuerta didn't give the smirk I thought she might. Had she honestly been doing the decent thing, sticking up for Pascal, empathising with her, purely to stand up for a fellow female in the department, knowing what a tough job it is to be in a male-dominated environment? We thought she had her own agenda, biding her time until she could get her job back, but um, maybe that did play a part, but from her expression here, she didn't seem overjoyed at being reinstated. Interesting. Lila catches up with Dexter. She isn't accepting him breaking up with her. She uses that phrase more than once and it creeped me out a bit. Set alarm bells ringing. 
she's his sponsor. It's a big responsibility and the two people need to be compatible, surely. She should respect his wishes, yet she comes back, pursues him. But she does seem to have some good observations, even though she still doesn't have the first clue as to what his actual addiction is. She says, whatever you think you are, you don't have to be that. It's funny how treatment of addictions is pretty much the same, whatever the nature of the addiction. Seems that the principles are generally the same. But Dexter responds in a way that suggests he doesn't think he can change. However, this rattles Lila's cage. Jesus, Dexter, what are you so fucking scared of? You make yourself into a monster so you no longer bear responsibility for what you do. Oh, I can't help it. I'm a monster. Oh, of course I was going to do that. I'm a monster. It's sad. And it's pathetic. And it breaks my heart. You don't think there are monsters in this world? You don't believe people are evil? I'll show you evil. <laughs> She's spot on again. And surely it must resonate in Dexter somewhere. But he responds to this by showing her the field morgue with the Bay Harbour butcher bodies. However, her reaction is not the one he expected. She's fascinated and enthralled. Even Dexter expresses his surprise, but she says the person who did this, he's just like her and Dexter. She's not repulsed by it. She says there's good and evil in everyone, and Dexter's flawed. She seems to see him, past the mask, she doesn't know it. But she's seeing beyond the mask and she isn't turning away. Dex is pretty stunned as we go to flashback. Harry's happy and he's patting young Dexter on the back, impressed like it's a great thing that the doctor was fooled and didn't see the monster inside him. Just to hear a father say something like that, it's shocking. It makes you wonder what was going on in Harry's head. Young Dexter just says he's pretended to be someone he isn't and Harry tells him to keep that up. What this sets up is how Dexter has maintained this facade, this mask of normality to keep himself undetected, not arousing any suspicion, except for dokes. <laughs> and ultimately, it's helped him stay free. Honestly, it, it's so sad to see Harry have this relationship with Dexter, have this attitude. Particularly when the young boy is clearly perturbed by Harry's use of the word monster. It's so sad, tragic, how different things could have been. Back in the present day, Dexter's voiceover is telling us how Lila is making him feel okay about who he is, what he is. This is the first person to do that since Harry himself, so it's no small thing. And so it's safe to say <laughs> that Lila's still his sponsor, but before she leaves him, before she says goodbye, she plants, she plants a kiss on his lips which seems to go on <laughs> a second or so too long and it seems to confuse him. Next, we join Batista briefly, going to apologise to the woman from earlier. He's accepted that he was wrong about her husband, but his apology prompts her to tell him about guns that he kept. So, maybe there's a lead there after all. Although we don't found, find out what it is this episode. Back to Dexter, and he's scaling the fence at the police station to sabotage the refrigeration, the uh, refrigeration unit that they used to keep the field more cool keeping all those bodies nice and fresh, stopping them rotting anymore. Nice idea, Dex. And then we get it in the next scene. The reveal about La Guerta. Honestly, I'd forgotten this from watching it the first time years ago, so this was a nice little surprise for me in the rewatch. La Guerta is the other woman involved with Pascal's fiance. The insinuation is that she started seeing him for the purpose of upsetting Pascal and ultimately getting her job back, but it's not confirmed. What does seem clear is that she has a rush of conscience, seeing the personal effect it had on her female colleague, how it hurt her. And I think she was stung by Matthew's comment about Pascal's outburst, setting women back 20 years in the department. I think she felt genuinely shitty about it. She breaks it off with the guy, and he's pissed off, but maybe her conscience won out in the end. It's just a bit too late to save Pascal. Next morning, we're at Rita's house. Gail's dressed Cody in the, as a, a butcher man, he says. I'm the butcher man. And it's an effort to try and help combat his nightmares. Nice idea. Dexter plays into it and has some fun with him while Gail and Rita look on. Gail says he's good. Rita says yes, she got lucky with Dexter. But Gail says no, he's a good actor. 
He's hiding something. Oh, how perceptive she is. Final sequence sees the discovery of the sticky scene in the morgue. All the bodies ruined by the broken refrigeration. But back in the office, just as Dex is feeling, as he notes, hope for the first time, Masuka says, lucky the algae's okay. It was on the rocks, and they were stored elsewhere. What rocks, thinks Dexter. <laughs> so, to answer our question about the logic of the algae, they think the rocks were collected where the Bay Harbour butcher keeps his boat, and then he used them to weigh down the bodies, putting them in the bags. All together now. Don't! This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. It helps me control the chaos. So, another strong episode, I thought. Good, solid storytelling. With a couple of nice surprises and plenty of character moments for nearly everyone. Reveals about Harry's highly questionable upbringing of the troubled and disturbed young Dexter. The introduction of a potentially troublesome mother-in-law. The twist about LaGuerta combined with some potentially intriguing character development for her. Don't get used to that. <laughs> oh, sorry, I said no spoilers. No, it's not a spoiler, really. And a nice bit of insight into Dokes' his psychology. I like that. Yes, I thought it was a solid episode. Often with Seasons of Dexter, it can take a few episodes to get, in, get into the groove, but both Season 1 and Season 2 have cracked straight on with it. Season 1 more so, but Season 2 is ticking along very well. If you're watching this for the first time... You should be full of optimism for some great stuff still to come this season. And I'm excited about re-watching it. Listener Feedback It's feedback time. Firstly, a shout out to some new iTunes reviews. Now, it's been a while since I've done this on the podcast. Uh, and honestly, I was quite taken aback at how many new reviews there are since I last uh, did this. Since mid-December, there's been about about 10 reviews on, on the US iTunes store. So thanks very much, everybody who's taken the, the time to either leave a rating or leave a comment. Uh, so specifically, those who've, who've left reviews since I last did this, <laughs> thank you to Crack Rabbit, Fatback Two Six Four Two O, Marine Girl Ten Forty One, Bob De Grand, Tortimers, Camilla Montana, White Delight, Diamond Rattler, Keelby, Dave Gel, and Courageous Cart. Now, in Courageous Cart's review, he or she picked up on a very valid point. Uh, <laughs> basically saying that they don't listen to the podcast while the season is airing uh, for <laughs> for fear of not being spoiled specifically, but spoiled accidentally. <laughs> Giving credit to uh, myself and, and you dear listeners uh, for, for some of our observations and predictions for the season. Um, I'm not going to pick out any specific examples because this is a spoiler-free podcast, uh, but there was one in um, season six that we we sussed quite early on and um, not everybody did and, and of course if you listen to the podcast then it sows the seeds doesn't it when you hear people's theories and um, then when the surprise is eventually revealed you think oh I already heard that and um, yeah it can kind of spoil things so I can perfectly see that point of view but I'm very glad that you can still enjoy the podcast uh, once the season's aired so um, thanks everybody who left reviews on to the feedback now an email from dave noble in ohio who's one of our most active uh not users <laughs> the ones for want of a better word <laughs> i'm not suggesting dave's a user but one of the visitors to the facebook page that's what i should say one of the most active visitors and contributors to the facebook page that's better uh, dave in ohio emailed about this latest episode episode four and said i found episode four of season two to be one of the funniest episodes in the series so far in particular i love the use of the voiceover narration in this episode perhaps my two favorite voiceovers are one when dexter and rita are in the kitchen and rita is voicing her disgust about the bay harbor butcher 
and hope they get him. Then turns to Dexter and wishes him a good day, to which the voice of response is, make up your mind. And two, when Dexter directs the lieutenant to Masuka to analyse the smell on the shirt and his voiceover says, I'm not above sending pizza and hookers to Masuka's house. <laughs> yes, indeed. The voiceover has to be my favourite aspect of this episode. But I also enjoyed the small visual humour in the scene where Dexter and Deb are talking over breakfast about the new evidence in the Bay Harbour Butcher case and when Dexter looks concerned and defeated about the prospect of being found out because of algae, the camera cuts to toast, popping out of the toaster as if to say, you're toast. It's the little things like this that make this episode such a wonderful one. Thanks very much, Dave. Yes, there were some good voiceover comments this week. As I said earlier... This show was established as one with a good dark sense of humour and comments this episode reinforced that. You mentioned the visual humour. I must admit the bit with the toast passed me by. I don't know whether it was deliberate or not by the producers, maybe something the editor put together in post-production. But I can see what you mean. Visual gags, it's not something the show does very often, is it? OK, thanks Dave. On to a voicemail now fan favourite and guest on the podcast just before Christmas, Travis Shefflin has phoned this in Yo Gareth, this is Travis It's 2012, you know what that means It's time for the season 2 rewatch to commence again You know, we had, we had that little hiatus with uh, a little something you may have heard of uh, called uh, season 6 of Dexter, you know And then there's fans of the podcast, you know, like Weekend Warriors, who they listen to the uh, to this, to the the podcast during the current season, but then they bail during the rewatches. But nah, man, I'm with you on this one. We're gonna we're dissecting Dexter the right way from the beginning. But at any rate, I'm already starting off and I'm not making sense. So let's just hop in to talking about this uh, previous episode. Anyway, so I have episode four, season two, see through. Uh, this was the first episode I remember feeling when I watched it. That I was a little disappointed in Harry, because I always liked Harry, the character of Harry, uh, being, you know, the mysterious ghostly father figure, giving Dexter good advice, and and uh, being loving to his son. But this is the episode where they start to kind of turn him into a dick, you know, he, uh, he, he has a good idea telling Dexter to, um, to lie to this person so he can, he can continue to take care of Dexter but his bedside manner is definitely lacking you know he says something to Dexter like oh no one could even see the monster inside you and, I, and I'm just like what the f what are you doing Harry who says that to a kid even if the kid is uh, messed up like Dexter but uh yeah I remember thinking that uh Lila uh yeah this is Lila's like first like big episode you know she becomes like a real character and oh I don't I did not like like Lila. You know who she reminds me of? She, not exactly, but her typecast is that of like Zoe Deschanel. She's like this manic pixie character. You know, very beautiful, dark hair. Uh, you know, she just helps our our main character who's got some stupid problem in his life. Uh, he helps him through his problems, uh, and that's all fine and good. But what I didn't like is how sexy she was, and you know how much sexual tension her and Dex had. And I'm just like, oh no, I just so do not want them to end up fucking. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm really a big fan of like Dexter's, um, you know, domestic life. I like Rita and I like her kids, and I'm like, oh Dexter, please don't screw this up. So man, I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat all season. I'm like, oh, is it gonna happen? Will they? Won't they? This is like Ross and Rachel from Friends. That's, I don't know if he, Friends was a big deal and. In the UK, that's like an American thing. You know, friends are you're not a dummy, you're not a dummy, Gareth. Uh, but uh, in this episode, when Dexter and Lila kind of broke up for a little bit, I secretly hoped in my heart of hearts that it was going to stick. Like, yeah, break up. But I knew better. I knew this bitch was. I knew she was going to be on the whole season. So I was just like, oh no. But uh, this episode also introduced uh, Rita's mother, Gail. You know, she's there to be nothing more than you know, a, an obstacle. Is she? Or is she, uh, is this going to lead to some real character development between Rita and or Dexter? You know, who know? Only the season will tell. All we know, we all we know is that she's a bitch now, but is she going to be a super important character later in the, in the le uh, later seasons? Uh, I don't know. Is she going to find out Dexter's secret? Is she going to hook up with Masuka? Man, who knows, man? That's why we're watching. This is why we're rewatching this, Gareth. We got to get through this. Uh, I like Dokes' story here. Dokes is my favorite. 
apart from Dexter, I love Dokes, and we find out that, you know, about his past in the military and whatnot, and we also find out that he used to be married, and that he left his wife because, I guess, he had, sometimes he had, he had urges to kill her or something. Man, that's crazy, man. How could you not like Dokes, man? I wish, I wish Dokes was my dad. Uh, in this episode, I know, uh, Deb hooks up with, I think his name's Gabriel, the guy at the gym. I don't know if I have much to say about that, other than this isn't the first questionable thing Deb's done. I guess it's not questionable to fall in love and whatnot, but, I mean, the manner in which she did it was very bizarre. You know, even he commented on that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He seems like a nice enough guy, I, I guess, if he's not just like some, you know, gym rat, some meathead, like, Yo, what's up, guys? Wanna, wanna work on my muscles? Uh, finally, uh, Pascal, like, she left this episode. And I was disappointed that she left. Not that I was in love with the character. Uh, and the way that she did leave was pretty cunning on LaGuardia's part. You know, cheating on... Or, you know, uh, making her fiancé cheat on Pascal. And, and uh, you know, manipulating Pascal to get her job back. Yeah, that's all very smart and not. But I don't like that Pascal came on the show as this, like, cool and very competent detective. Supposedly more competent than LaGuardia. That's how she was introduced. And then, you know, she just became some blithering idiot who, as Captain Matthews said, I wish... I wish these were my words, but the captain, the captain's words. Uh, he says something like, uh, "You know, put women in the department back twenty years," which is exactly what she did. She's acting like a, a total, uh, some hysterical woman. What a, uh, what a cliche. But uh, I don't like that they made her that way. I was excited to see what the department dynamic would be like with her in the mix now. But uh, yeah, she left. Laguerta's reinstated. Anyway, that's it. I didn't think I'd talk this long. I'm sorry. I tend to do that. Thanks, Travis. Nice marathon there. <laughs> no, I don't mind a longer voicemail. It's uh, it's all good stuff, and honestly, I don't have the heart to edit you down. Okay, so, yeah, some good points raised. Uh, Harry, definitely a very questionable character reveal in this episode. He'd been depicted as a caring and devoted dad previously. Kind of, he'd, he'd recognised issues and problems inside, in, in young Dexter and was trying to help him help him with that and try and guide him and and channel him you know we we questioned his we questioned his motivation before and the ethics of of doing such a thing and but we couldn't argue that he was devoted to Dexter and and cared about him he wanted him to stay out of trouble but really like i said in my recap i kind of side with with Doris here she knew there was something up with Dexter and cared enough to want him to go and get some help, or at least be tested with a view to getting help. And and Harry was very deceitful, and I'd, I'd love to know what his motivations were there, whether it was some sort of arrogant pride or some other reason why he told Dexter to fake it. I mean, at that point, Dexter hadn't killed anyone. It's not like he was going to go to prison or juvenile detention centre or, or something like that. He would have probably got the help that he needed and, and help that might have changed the rest of his life. He mentioned Lila. Yeah, I, I too, first time I watched this, I, I was thinking, oh, please don't end up in bed. <laughs> the kiss that she planted on him introduced a bit of sexual tension. And the soundtrack, they kind of played some goofy comedic music as if to depict Dexter's sort of confusion and, oh, what was that sort of thing? Honestly, I think Dexter had been oblivious to her being attractive or sexy in any way. What I thought was key for him is the fact that even though she doesn't know he's a killer, she has a perception of and openness to darkness that he's never encountered before. That scene in the field morgue, he was amazed she wasn't repulsed by the evidence of evil he showed her, as he assumed she would, as, as he assumed that she would be repulsed. He wanted to turn her off. Instead, she looked and still felt there would be goodness in the person who did these things. No spoilers per se, but this rings a bell or two with themes touched upon in later seasons of Dexter. That there, there's good in all of us. But what Dexter's seeing here is the start of a connection with someone who doesn't recoil from the darkness she's expressed a belief that there is good and evil in everyone and no one is simply an out-and-out -out monster 
it's this that will end up drawing him to her, not the fact that she's got good legs and nice hair. <laughs> Dokes. Yes, I liked his story this week. Not sure I'd want him to be my dad, though, so I think you're on your own there, mate. Certainly not if he's had urges to kill. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> God knows what he'd do to me if I forgot to take the rubbish bin out. <laughs> hey, maybe Dokes and Dexter have something in common after all, though, eh? And Deb... She certainly was a little hasty to jump in the sack with that guy. He seemed nice enough in the gym, sure, but then again, didn't Rudy seem charming before he tried to kill her? She's still recovering from the trauma with that, of course, and I think we're starting to realise at this point that maybe she's got her own personal issues, like Dexter has his. I'm not saying she's a killer or anything, but you know what I mean. And Pascal... You raise a valid point about her. It was a shame that they completely dismantled her when she'd been established as a cool, level-headed woman initially. But I guess we all have our weaknesses, and maybe her fear of being cheated on was hers. Maybe she really loved this guy. Maybe he was her world, and him cheating on her was a massive betrayal, and it just made her go to pieces. But I did find it a little cheap to have her stereotyped in the end as an emotional woman hysterically breaking down publicly in front of everyone over being betrayed in love. She lost all dignity. Pity. But it played right into LaGuerta's plan, it seems. It does make sense why she was so nice to her during her time there. I suspect initially it wasn't to ease her guilt. In the end, though, she really did seem to feel a tug of conscience, but too little too late. Right, thanks, Travis. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email dissectingdexter at gmail.com or you can phone in on one of the listener lines in the US. It's 646-222-6122 or in the UK, the number is 0844-579-6949 and you enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. That's only on the UK line, that bit. Or you can contact me on Twitter, it's at DissectDexter. Or you can contact me on my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. There's also the Facebook page. Hop on to Facebook, search for Dissecting Dexter and you'll find it. Like it, comment, upload a picture, link, whatever you like. And if you want to show a little bit of, bit of love and support for the podcast, hop on to iTunes and just take 30 seconds to supply a little iTunes review with a, a nice five star rating that would be fantastic it just helps the podcast ranking on iTunes and well bigs it up a bit for potential future subscribers so um, thanks in advance for that and as you've heard I'll always give you a little shout out in the podcast by way of thanks next time on Dissecting Dexter Yes, it's preview time. The next episode, Season 2, Episode 5, is called Dark Defender. Now, I'm going to read a little synopsis of the next episode. So if you are watching the series and listening to the podcast as you go, and as such haven't seen Episode 5 yet, if you don't want to get spoiled, skip ahead a couple of minutes, because I'm going to go over a little synopsis and talk about what might be coming up. No great spoilers, but if you don't want to know anything about the next episode, then just skip ahead a little bit. Okay, at Lila's urging, and as part of his recovery, Dexter agrees to face his past. He learns that none of the three men... No, I'll read that again. <laughs> he learns that one of the three men who killed his mother in the shipping container is still alive. With Lila in tow, Dexter sets out to confront the man who has, as he says, taken his life away. Deb is still seeing Gabriel but blows up at him when, he's, when she sneaks a peek at his email. Rita's mother, Gail, tells Dexter he should leave, but when Rita hears of it, she tells her mother that it's she who will be leaving, but Gail has other ideas. The police investigation continues, and the Bay Harbour butcher's marina is narrowed down to three possible sites. Dexter decides to give his boat a thorough cleaning, but doesn't realise he's being watched. And the plane goes over. If you're playing the Dexter drinking game, <laughs> now's your chance. <laughs> so, it sounds like Dexter opens up to Lila about his mother being murdered in front of him, giving her an indication of where his dark feelings originated. 
You'd expect him and assume he'll want to kill this guy. But can he do that without Lila finding out? Doing so would maybe give him a little closure on what happened. But while feelings of vengeance from Dexter would be very human and very normal, are they something Dexter would recognise? Personally, I'm already getting bad vibes from Lila, even though there is potential here for her to help Dexter. But I'm not convinced she's going to be a good influence. As for Gail and Rita, I'm not surprised it sounds like Rita sides with Dexter. It's been established that they don't have a good relationship, so why wouldn't Rita stick up for him over her mother, especially when he's not mistreated her in any way and gets on well with the kids? And with the algae thing evidently narrowing down where the boat might be, it's not surprising Dexter reacts and hastily gives the boat a, a good going over with a scrubbing brush. But in his haste, he could make a mistake, and from the synopsis, it sounds like he does. Did you hear that shot go off? I don't know if you heard the last podcast or two. I mentioned the uh, the pit that goes that goes again. There's a pigeon scarer in the field <laughs> next to the mobile studio. <laughs> uh, I don't know if if new listeners may not be aware of this that um, where I record, it's surrounded by farmland, and um, I, while I'm recording, I do get interrupted by planes and army helicopters and a variety of wildlife. And on this occasion. The pigeon scarer goes off again. It's a, it's a gas canister that fires off every, every half hour or so and just stops the pigeons settling on the farmer's fields. But I digress. This is digressing Dexter after all. <laughs> so that's the preview. And so, my friends, we come to the end of another Dissecting Dexter. I must admit, it's great getting back into rewatch mode. I really enjoyed preparing this podcast and revisiting Season 2 again. I think now it stands as my second favourite Dexter season behind Season 1. And there's some really good stuff. It's fun going back and revisiting these old favourite characters, Lundy and Dokes two of my favourite Dexter characters and I can assure you if you're watching season 2 for the first time there's there's more great stuff to come so I hope you'll stick with me hopefully it won't be so long until the next season 2 podcast I won't promise when because I'll probably fail but I'll do my very best to get the next one out sooner than I got this one out <laughs> so I hope you'll join me, stick with me great stuff to come season 2 of Dexter, gotta love it so, until we dissect some more Dexter again, take care guys. Thanks very much for your support. I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now. Yeah.